Hello and welcome once again to What I Did Next from ANT Media, a show where we explore life's pivot points. I'm Malak Fuad. On this show, our guests delve into their personal and professional crossroads and discuss how they choose which way to go. These are people who are multilingual, multicultural, with roots in the Middle East. They are engaged, curious and passionate about knowledge, aiming to leave the world a slightly better place. This episode is brought to you by Marrakez, Building Spaces for Life. Marrakez is a leading mixed-use developer in Egypt, with an ever-growing portfolio of commercial and residential projects. Visit www.marrakez.net for more information. My guest today comes from the world of advertising. Ali Ali is the co-founder of Good People Films and is one of the most highly respected and sought-after advertising directors around. The Gun Report named him one of the 10 most awarded directors in the world, and Adweek placed him amongst the top 10 most exciting directors of 2020. After studying computer science as an undergraduate, Ali realized that he preferred storyboards to motherboards and made the transition first to fine arts and then to advertising. He has lived a peripatetic life, growing up in different countries and living in several European cities in the course of his career. As you'll hear, Ali's cultural influences are quirky and off-center, and this comes across strongly in his work, penetrating the look and feel of the imagery and atmosphere, as well as the funny dialogue of his ads. It was his directorial debut for Panda Cheese that catapulted him into the big leagues, with his Never Say No to Panda campaign earning him the coveted Silver Lions Award. The ad went viral, not to mention earning itself a cult-like following along the way. We began our chat as always with one of the show's staple questions, and it may come as no surprise that one of Ali's ideal guests to his hypothetical dinner party is one of the world's most celebrated film directors. Uh, just off the bat, I think um, Stanley Kubrick was a di- British director. Yeah. Um, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. for sure. Was he in any of his movies? Uh, in uh, in uh, Kubrick's, Kubrick's movies, yeah, Shining. Shining, yeah, the Shining of course. is directed by Stanley yeah, Kubrick yeah, and yeah. Uh, Jack Nicholson is in it. Uh, Sofia Coppola, who yeah. is uh, another director, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. Yeah. Richard Diebenkorn, who's uh, one of my favorite painters. I don't know him. What sort of art is it? He is called, he's part of the San Francisco Bay Area movement, which is in 1965 to 1985. So they started after after abstract expressionism in New York. Mm-hmm. They moved to the West Side and he was like at the forefront of that. What about him do you like? Um, his paintings. I just yeah. love his, his work. It was a big inspiration to me uh, to start painting. And he was introduced to me by my... Uh, art teacher in AUC. Oh, wow. How interesting. Uh, yeah, I think that's the, the list. Anyone uh, like personal, family, friends that you would want to include in the mix? I'd love to have my dad back. That would be, that'll be good. The other question I wanted to ask you was mm-hmm. um, if you were to pick um, your favorite book, okay. what would you choose? Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger was a like a big influence on me as a as a you know, young student. And probably in my later years, I would pick um, Still Life with a Woodpecker, which is by a guy called Tom Robbins. Mm -hmm. Not very well known in this part of the world, but Mm -hmm. a great writer nonetheless. I think all his books are up there in my top five. So his five top, his five books are my top five books. Wow, interesting. Because his books um, basically cover 
culture. He used to be an art crit- critic, so he, he's got lots of culture in the book. There's a lot of absurdity and religion and politics, and he just makes fun of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, his view on life is very, very interesting. He has another book called Another Roadside Attraction, where um, a family finds the body of Jesus and they display it as a roadside attraction somewhere in the Midwest. Interesting. And people have to come and pay money to see it. So there's a sort of all... a surreal side to all this. Yes, yes. Another one of his books is about an Arab and a Jew that open a falafel restaurant in New York. Um, so they're all very, I think it's called Skinny Legs and All. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah. And what about your favorite film? I mean, you already alluded to Kubrick. Uh, the Shining is definitely up there. Um Fargo by the Coen Brothers. That's an amazing movie. Is another, uh, yeah, Little Miss Sunshine. I think yeah, these are yeah. probably my t- top So they're three. all kind of off the beaten track, Shwaya. Mm. They're not your run-of-the-mill, standard mainstream movies. La- I'm not, I don't know why, I'm just not attracted to, the, I haven't watched Lord of the Rings, for example. I haven't watched any episodes of um, Games, Game, of, Game Thrones. of Thrones, which I mean, people always yeah. freak out when I say that. Yeah, I haven't watched it either. I'm, I, that whole genre is not. I I guess I never read yeah. The Hobbit as a kid, and this this yeah. genre doesn't. You know, Dungeons and Dragons and and all that but doesn't. But your your picks are all a bit quirky, a bit off center, but they're also quite funny. Yes, there's a hum, there's an underlying humor to all of that, all of the things you've mentioned so far. Yes, yes, absolutely. And what about your favorite piece of music or your favorite musician? Um, I'd say maybe Bob Dylan. Um, I think Amy Winehouse was brilliant talent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but if I had to pick one, it would be Bob Dylan. So poetic rather than so it's about the words as opposed to necessarily the the music itself. I think both. I mean, I I his voice doesn't bother me. I mean, it bothers a lot of people, but it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So would you say it's more folk folky that you're interested in, or or the just the him particularly. No, I think him particularly. him particularly. I don't think I'm into any other folk art. Right. Nice selection. Mm, thank you. So I know that you grew up in Egypt. Yes. Uh, you went to university here. And then you did postgraduate study in the States. Would you say that that was a particular turning point for you? When you actually left and decided to pursue... Um, more of an artistic career after having done, which I believe was computer science yes, at AUC. Absolutely. I mean, I, I studied computer science uh, with a minor in electronics to get like an engineering degree because computer engineering did not exist at the time. It does now, but it didn't at the time. So you had to kind of design it yourself. And in my uh, junior year of college, I started taking some art electives just by chance. And I got sucked into that big time. And I remember you telling me that your father was very keen on you doing a sort of a uh, a standardized kind yes, of degree. Yes. That Definitely engineering before, you know, if you want to be an artist, you need to finish engineering first and then be an artist. My, I mean, my father, ironically, was also a painter. I mean, he's he was a Sunday painter, like he'd mm-hmm. paint in his free time. But yeah. he, was a, he was a great painter. And um, so, yeah, so that was, you know, the, the day I graduated, I said, I'm done with computer science and, you know, I wanted to do art. And uh, I applied for an MFA uh, to a couple of schools in the U.S. and I got accepted into San Francisco Art Institute with a um, scholarship. They have a foreign student, like two or three students that they give a merit scholarship to, and I got that. And I went there for the program. So that must have been a a big sort of break in 
yes. a, a big break for you in yes. terms of the next step. Absolutely. So and how a, was that a move into the complete opposite yeah, direction? Totally opposite. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then just five months into it, I made another move. Tell me about that. In a, in a third direction. So <laughs> I, I went to San Francisco, um, you know, wanting to do an MFA in painting. And very quickly, I realized, one, that I wasn't that good um, compared to all the other uh, people there on merit scholarship and especially all the foreign students who are the best in there. I didn't have a bachelor's degree in painting, so my foundations were a lot weaker than everyone there. But you still got in on a scholarship, so yes. you must have had something yes, that they, caught their eye. Yes, they definitely liked the work. But when I got there and, yeah. you know, realized uh, I'm a small fish in a big pond kind of mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. It was there was a bit of disillusionment there, and of course um, the fact that very few people in the program were painting, uh, maybe me and like two others. Uh, the rest were doing video art, you know, conceptual art, mm-hmm. installations. That uh, wasn't perform- what you were interested in. No, and it was. A, I mean, obviously that's where art was heading yeah. at the time, and that that's what the you know and zeitgeist what, was. And when then, is this? Like the early nineties? No, mid-90s? no, I'm not, I'm not that old. <laughs> No, you're not actually. Sorry. This is in 2002. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that was, yeah, there was a big movement at the time towards yes. more conceptual. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I just, I didn't fit in, you know, and um, San Francisco was very foggy and rainy. I wanted to move on to, you know, better weather. And so I visited uh, a friend of mine in Miami and um, it seemed like, you know, a much better place to, to live. And um, I looked for art schools there or, you know, graphic design schools and didn't find any. But I stumbled on Miami Ad School, which is an advertising program focusing on art direction and filmmaking and things Mm -hmm. like that. And um, I made that move. But had you, did you already have an interest in that field or did you? Yes, by nature of, you know, art and computer science. Yeah, it kind of melts Graphic design is kind of like a... A go-between. Yeah, in yeah. These. And obviously, I wanted to do something more marketable to please my parents and, you know, not be the crazy painter who's not going to make money. And did you did you find that that was uh, the right move and looking back? I mean, I, I mean, God knows. Yeah, I don't know. of course. But, you'll never know. Yeah. But definitely now I feel that that was a very, you know, I'm very grateful for that move. And that uh, visit I made to Miami was uh, and how a life changer. And how long was that course? That prog- that was a two-year program, and I finished a bit early to uh, do a uh, an internship in Romania, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Um, How did that I, come about? I um, Basically, towards your last quarter in a school, you the school was quarters and not semesters, so it's divided into four quarters a year. And in your last two quarters, you're entitled to a working internship, which you basically apply to in different... Um, states and if you want to you can apply to agencies abroad and um, I got I remember I got accepted into an internship at BBDO New York which was at the time one of the hottest agencies I think in the world and I got accepted into an a, a unknown agency called Darcy in Bucharest <laughs> and I decided to take the Bucharest one which was very counterintuitive at the time you know everybody told me you should obviously go to New York yeah that's and, a really interesting choice. Yes. What made you take that leap? Because it's a bit of a leap of faith, actually. Yes. I mean, one of the deciding factors was my girlfriend was Romanian. We met at uh, school and uh, she was going back home. So I figured that so I can... always follow the girl. Yes, always. Yeah. And um, I mean, that was probably the main reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which sounds stupid at the moment, but... Well, actually, I know a lot of people whose lives have kind of taken a... 
have changed because of something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, and you the, the funny thing is we broke up like a month into yeah. being in Romania. Yeah. So it was just But you a, stayed on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think she was just there to lead me to Romania Absolutely. somehow. And all my friends who ended up going to BBDO New York were just, you know, photocopying pa- papers, uh, running errands, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. making coffee. Menial work. Yeah, it was a it was a kind of a humiliating internship yeah. because of how great the place was. Of course. Uh, as opposed to my internship where I was, uh, you know, the golden boy coming from Miami to Romania and with all the know-how. And, yeah. you know, I got on the biggest projects all of a sudden and, you know, shoots. And and that company was an American company? Yes, yes. And why Romania, were they in Romania? at the Romania? time was just coming out of, you know, the Eastern Bloc. And uh, McDonald's and Coca-Cola had just opened. Mm-hmm. And Darcy was their agency in many parts of the world. So that... Uh, agency opened up just to serve these two clients mm-hmm, initially. Mm-hmm. And so Romania they... was the base, but presumably re- working in the area yes. generally around yes. the, around Romania as well. Yes, and Romania is, is actually quite a very um, strong creative um, country in Eastern Europe. Right. Amongst the Eastern European ones, I'd say Romania is probably mm-hmm. the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, Warsaw more in graphic design and poster yeah. design, but Romania in, yeah. in creative advertising. And how long were you there for? A year and a few months. Just over a year. And what did you learn? Or how did that shape your next move? Yeah, so so basically I'd say I learned confidence mm-hmm. and, you know, a, a bit of art direction from my um, creative director there who was a guy called Mihai who was very, you know, very meticulous about art direction and design and typography and stuff like that. So it was very helpful to work under him. And we won a couple of awards at a show called The Golden Drums, which is like the can awards but for eastern europe mm-hmm. strictly an eastern european show and the head of the jury there was a guy called tim delaney who runs an agency called legs delaney in london it's very well known so yeah we had breakfast the next day and he asked me to come to legs delaney hamburg which was uh again just opening up part of his legs delaney chain and um I, it's a very I ju- creative agency yes yeah yes it's a boutique agency yeah. in hamburg um, they had a lot of accounts at the time. They had uh, Grunan Yar, which is the biggest publication house or publishing house in, in Germany. And they had De Stern, which is the biggest magazine there. They had uh, Skoda, the car. Mm-hmm. They had uh, Orangina. They had a couple of interesting accounts. Wrangler Jeans. And you worked on those? Most of them, yeah. yes. And so I, so I moved to Hamburg. That was another pivot. Right. What was that pivot like for you? I mean, was it a a, a, a pivot, in ter- obviously, in terms of your profession, you went yeah. up the ladder. Yes, absolutely. But did you, did it also pivot for you personally? Were there things that, um, you yes, were single I mean, at the time. Yes. So you were able to move around quite freely. Yes. And obviously, the German culture leaves its mark on anyone who's lived there. You know, mm-hmm. Germany is very polarizing. It's not. Really? Yeah, you can't live in Germany and leave unaffected. Really? In what way? Yes. Just everything. Germans are very, you know, um, I think they're very correct in many things. And they. Do you you speak the language? No. Was that a problem? Very little. Um, In a lot of, in a sense, yes, but they'd always, you know, speak in English for me in the meetings. Yeah. um, But there'll always be the occasional, you know, Ali, we're going to do Auf Deutsch now, and they turn (laughs) German. Um, But I mean, I wrote all my copy in English, and someone would translate it. My copywriter was German. 
And um, I'd never heard of anyone saying Germany was is polarizing. No, I mean it's not polarizing. It's it's a very dominant culture that right. you know rubs off on you and leaves you with a lot of things that stay with you forever. You know, like what? How did like that? Like bike riding, like you know, love of nature, like just the simple life they have. Like all the buildings don't have elevators. Like climbing up. I lived on a fifth floor and I'd go up the stairs with bags and you know. Really? Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. I I don't know Germany well at all. No, and Hamburg is a very green city, and there are yeah. no plastic bags. Yeah, you know, you go to the supermarket with the same bag over and over. Do you think that that ethos influences your work now? Not my work, but my personality for sure. In what way? In just you know caring for the so, environment. Yeah. Um, you know how liberal I've become is also from you know living in Hamburg. So you were not as liberal before. Probably not. It opened I mean, your eyes to a certain to a lot of things to a different thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and again, Hamburg is very a-religious. Yeah. And Germany in general, yeah. obviously. Religion it's interesting no about that. I mean, it's like they they've tried to go 360 and and become overly tolerant about yes everything. everything. Yeah. Everything. Every, I mean, it's everything. no surprise that they allowed all the refugees in. You know, of course, Merkel. I mean, this yeah. is. They're just a. They're very profound and noble culture they're mm -hmm. just they're mm -hmm. elevated and mm -hmm. they're very civilized do you feel that it comes naturally or that it comes as a reaction to the war history that it's a Obviously reaction it's helped yeah big time yeah i mean they have a big guilty conscience yeah. on that whole thing especially the generation that i was dealing with mm -hmm. and you know but it's also tabooed and you don't talk about it obviously you know yeah that, you know first rule of it's Germany like ingrained not, but yeah, you don't talk you about do it not talk about yeah it at all. yeah and i remember the the, the movie uh the untergang which was about Hitler's last days yeah. um, coming out when I was there. And I went with a couple of people from the agency to see it. Mm -hmm. And it was very shocking to see they all... Their reactions. They wept like crazy. Oh, really? The film. Yeah. It's like collective guilt. Yes. They have that sense. They have an amazing guilt towards that. Uh, but, but yeah, it's made, them, it's made them better. It's incredible. Yeah. But I mean, I don't have much to say about their advertising. I mean, Germans are very rational, mm -hmm. obviously, and advertising or at least good advertising comes from the heart. Yeah, it's you emotional. Know? Yes, it's emotional. It comes from the heart, comes from the gut. And they are very rational about yeah. their advertising. They research everything. And, yeah. you know, their ideas are very cerebral and not So did you find funny. for you that you reached a ceiling very quickly because you were not, no, I mean, you didn't it, think in those in that way? I, I mean, again, I went there with a very high image of German advertising yeah. thinking it's like the best and again disillusionment and you know they're not really that good well you can say that but you can also say perhaps that you took what you needed to take from them yes absolutely. in terms of what you could learn yes and then move on to to the next phase yes absolutely and I think I'd say that's you know graphic design is huge in Germany mm -hmm. you know, every presentation looks you know their decks look perfect and yeah. neat and yeah um so yeah, I worked again under an art director, creative director called Herman Wotterkamp, who was he's one of the guys that designed the Audi logo. Like he's mm. he's up there. He's an icon. So yeah, that was that was Hamburg for two years. Right. Then my father had a stroke when I was in Hamburg, back in Cairo. And your father, from what you had said to me, had a also a very um, multidisciplinary absolutely, life. Absolutely, absolutely. My father believed that one should change disciplines every ten years. You know, That's really you, interesting. Yeah. Because for that generation yeah. who were used to being in one job for life, no, that my was a very, very progressive, very yeah. progressive Extremely attitude. Progressive. Yeah. He he believed two things that one one should continue to learn forever. Yeah. Education is not something that's limited to your, you know, early years. Absolutely. You should constantly be learning and going to schools and taking classes and stuff like that and that 
one should switch careers, you know, every 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's done. You know, he's he went from an aeronautical engineer to being a pilot to um, computer engineering to computer science to linguistics. Um, and he died as a linguist and a novelist. So That can perhaps explain why you had no fear after AUC to just jump into something completely different. Maybe. I think so. You had that as an example already. Yes, I think so. So you, you mentioned he had a stroke yes, when you were in Hamburg. Yes, he had a stroke in, in 2005, 2006, I think it was. And I moved back to Cairo, uh, you know, predominantly to help my mother out and to be there. And I joined an agency called Leo Burnett. And um, again, when, when I came back, there were a couple of agencies that wanted to hire me. And um, I think Leo Burnett offered me the least salary. <laughs> and there was another agency, without mentioning names, that offered me double the double that salary. So again, it was very counterintuitive to mm -hmm. go to Leo Burnett. What made I, you make, make that choice? At the time, they were doing the best ads. You know, I did a bit of research before coming back. And, you know, they got it the most, I mm -hmm, think. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a guy there called Muhammad Hamdallah, who was, uh, you know, one of the legends in advertising here, still is. And, you know, I wanted to work under him, under his mentorship, as opposed to anyone else. How did you feel about moving back to Cairo? I mean, good and bad. It's always like that when you move sure. back to Cairo. I mean, There's a lot of... Uh, yes. The pull is very strong, the but also very strong, the... strong, you know, socially and friends and family. Of course. But then, you know, all the things that obviously... That hinder that too. Yes. So that was, what, 2005? 2000, end of 2005, beginning of 2006. And you came into Leo Burnett in what position? Uh, as an associate creative director, mm -hmm. which was a bit of a leap because, you know, prior to that, I was a junior art director in, in Germany. But and also you had never worked in Egypt. Yeah, and I might have lied a little bit in my CV <laughs> and said I've had like five, six years of experience when I only had three. But it didn't seem to matter. No. Yeah. I, you know, I felt confident enough yeah. to, to be in that position. Yeah, yeah. I felt like... And how was that experience? How long were you there for? I'd say a year and a half, a year and eight months. That's pretty short. Yes, but, but it was it was great. It was a, it was like an intensive film film school. For yeah. Me. I worked on Mobinil, which is now Orange. We did a lot of Mobinil ads. Uh, I worked on Melody, mm -hmm. Melody of Flame. Yeah. First, not Melody of Flame, but Melody Music. How did working in Egyptian media? How did you find that? Because it's not easy to transition from a European style or a European focus mm -hmm. to a, an Egyptian uh, way of, of selling a product. It's yes. a completely different ballgame. Things are a lot faster here. Like Whereas Germany, a campaign would take six months yeah. of research and right. approvals and right. global approvals. We'd get a brief from Mobinil that wants to air next week. Oh, That's really? That yeah. fast? So it's a very different pace. But even even the even how you're approaching it from a from a content perspective, mm -hmm. your audience is a completely different animal yes. in Egypt to what it is in in in, uh, in Europe or in the States. Yes. How did you make that transition? I think it came it came very gradually. I mean, I was I think probably the first six seven months I was just soaking everything in. Yeah. Trying to understand how it works here. And but it was also it was a lot of uh, fun writing ads for your same culture. Sure, you, know, you can pull into a lot of your cultural references, which I didn't have in Germany. Sure, obviously. sure, and the fast pace of it also yes. is more fun. Yes, but the insights here are something you've had for life. So of course, just, it's instinctive. Of course, no. These I think these two years were very enjoyable and highly mm -hmm. educational for mm -hmm. me. What did you learn from a personal perspective coming back to look after your your mom and help out with your with your family, how how was that? Because you were quite young at the time to be 
Yes, be, I was to be burdened with that. That's a lot to be handling. Um, not on my own. I mean, I have I have two sisters. Sure. Um, so it wasn't just me yeah. alone. It's, um, but it's know, still but it, a big a big uh, responsibility. Yes, but it felt it felt good being back. I think it was the right thing to do, and it was you know the right. You were ready right to leave maybe where you were also. Yes, and, and, and Germany is a lot slower as well. I mean, my copywriter in Germany at the time, who was more senior than I was when I joined the agency, is still pretty much a senior copywriter now mm. or an yeah. associate creative director. Yeah, more uh, stagnant. The, the, 15 years later. The ladder yes. is, is less... Uh, yes, we basically plateau and moving up is very rigid. And whereas here it's like mm-hmm. skyrocketing. <laughs> you don't kidding. So looking back now, it's been 15 years that you've been back. I, I didn't stay back. You didn't stay back. No, no. So what did you do next? I, <laughs> I move every, you know, two years or so. So from Lee Burnett, yeah. I moved. I had a very brief stint at JWT in Cairo for three months. Mm-hmm. Three months? Yes. Wow, that is short. That is very short. Yeah. I, they they basically doubled my salary, uh, the, what I was making at Lee Burnett at the time. It was a very kind of monetary move. Mm-hmm. And, you know, three months later, I realized, you know, I'm not learning at this place. It's not for me right and i didn't respect my creative director at the time who was my boss or the i came there as creative director but i had an ecd above me uh again not mentioning names but i had very little respect for him fair enough when you have a when you have a bad boss or a boss you don't get along with it it completely yes ruins everything exactly and at the time i got approached by an agency in dubai right uh coincidentally so it was i wanted to leave and they approached me so it was a Mm no-brainer and i wanted to give dubai a try so I went to Dubai for a year and a half with FP7 as a creative director. Strong agency. Strong agency, lots of local clients yeah. in Dubai, and uh, but didn't didn't like it at all. Yeah, didn't like being in Dubai. But I think also that sort of environment—it's very corporate. It's very exactly. standardized. Yes, very corporate, big building with yeah, and hundreds and, and hundreds very of little employees. room for creativity. Yeah, every creative brief would have like something called a job bag where you put in your ideas in a bag at the end of the day and it circulates. It was a very weird system. Before we met for today's um, show, I had listened to a, a conference that you had done mm-hmm. in, Dur- in Durban, yes. in South Africa. Yes. And you had, it was, I think, the top 20 things I hate about ten, advertising. Ten, ten stupid things I learned in advertising. Ten stupid things I learned in advertising. And it yeah. is, it's hilarious. Of good ads and good fun. But unfortunately, you meet a lot of people who take this, this job uh, too seriously. And they make you feel like the deadline is the end of the world. Or, you know, that PPM document is the most important thing ever, you know. But no one, no one dies when you don't air on Tuesday, you know. So... It's very cynical. Mm-hmm. You seemed pretty fed up with, with the environment you were working in at the time. Yes. That was after I left advertising. I was directing at the time. This was in 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's so only five years ago. Yes. I had been directing for maybe four years and I had already quit advertising. Yeah. As like agency yeah. in life. Um, so yeah, so that was, you know, looking back. Yeah, it was pretty years. funny though. Yeah. And it was pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us about what you're doing now. Um, I'm a director at the moment. I also um, co-founded a production house three years ago called Good People, which uh, very recently merged with uh, a digital agency called Kijami. Mm-hmm. So now we're called GP&K. Mm-hmm. And we are a you know full media agency from production to... I mean, we call ourselves a digital agency because, I mean, 
by default any agency today is exactly it's always digital now yes of course I mean, if you're not, you're a dinosaur. Of course. Um, but what is the work you actually do? It's it's Bardu advertising. Yes. It's within the advertising space. Absolutely, yes. It's it's but advertising. But you're you're your own entity. You don't work yes. for an agency. No. You are. We, an I mean, agency. we we I still direct, mm-hmm. so I I could direct spots for different agencies. I'm working on one with Leo Burnett now at mm-hmm. the moment for Orange, and uh, we we also write and direct our own stuff. But does that mean that the that the industry itself is changing? If you are now an independent agent, but advertising agents are hiring you. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Don't they normally do things in-house? I think at the moment, there's a lot of... Um, it's being deconstructed. I mean, in the past, it was always the four big names. Yeah. You know, everybody worked with them. And it was all in-house. Yeah. yeah. Now it's the polar opposite. Right. There's a lot of small boutiques and small shops and brands are diver- diversifying mm-hmm. who they work with. And, you know, so Pepsi has always been BBDO. Yeah. Now Pepsi briefs out all their briefs to all the small agencies and independent agencies. So it's it's a very natural progression given the digital era that we're in. Do you think though advertising as well is is taking a bit of a leaf out of the indie movie book? Yes. There is a lot of that feel yes. where the big brands are now looking for alternative Absolutely. imagery and creativity. It's not the standardized yeah. and mainstream also, anymore. And also it's it's powered by technology because you know, there's no barrier to entry anymore. Any two guys in, you know, Masrgid in an apartment can uh, shoot an ad on their iPhone and make it great if it's creative enough, you know, and it would run on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever. And and as a as a creative director, are you mm. very conscious of the idea of producing something that will go viral, knowing yes. that that's exactly how things are today? I mean, I think you cannot predict virality no. I mean, it's very funny because a lot of times you get a client that says i want a viral ad you know and yeah viral ads either happen or they absolutely. don't you know, it's, not, it's not a guarantee absolutely but with time you get a gut feeling that this is yeah. you know this is going to resonate with people and i think for that you had do you have to have a universality or do you have to be very localized in your approach it, in my experience a lot of my the, the ads i've done that have been local are the ones that viraled in egypt at mm-hmm, least mm-hmm. Um, that had a local joke or, you know... Uh, but there have been a couple, like the Panda yes. advertisement that yes. you did that went yes. global. Yes. And it, yet it's it extremely local. Yes. How, do, how can More, you explain that? That's kind of an that anomaly. Was a freak, it was a freak yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Panda has over 200 million views on YouTube. Probably because it's it was, completely surreal. Yes. and It transcends uh, borders. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, I was in Italy once and... Um, in Capri, actually, in a small uh, bar. And the guy had a Never Say No to Panda poster behind behind the bar. And I told him I did this ad. And he didn't believe me, of course. Yeah. Uh, That's a really then, weird feeling. And, yes. And he, you know, gave us shots and drinks for yeah, free and stuff. Yeah. He, was, he was a big fan. Uh, a friend of mine got me a Never Say No pe- to Panda t-shirt from China. So they're being wow. sold, you know, yeah, like yeah, counterfeit yeah. t-shirts, yeah. mugs. But they probably are being produced without even realizing yeah, what yeah, they of course, are. Yeah, of course. They just like the slogan. Yeah, it just became a culture. It became the, a thing. The, the gif of the panda destroying the desk is yeah, still very yeah. much circulated today. Yeah. Every now and then someone sends it to me from, you know, Facebook or Instagram. Or... So, yeah, I mean, that was a... I, was, I got very lucky very yeah. early in my career because that was one of the first campaigns I directed. And that was with which agency? That was with Elephant. In Cairo? Yeah. So out of the things we've spoken of, or maybe things we haven't spoken of, mm-hmm. what would you say was a major pivot for you? 
or a major moment where you were faced with a fork in the road and you decided consciously to go either this way or that way? I think two major forks. Um, one was when I quit art for advertising. And that was a big, you know, mm. kind of the selling out. In your studies at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. In, when I left San Francisco for Miami Ad School, basically. And another major fork is when I quit advertising to direct. And that was a very difficult fork because my, I, didn't, I didn't mention that, but my last stint in advertising was as the ECD of DDB Berlin, which, was, which is a very hot shop. Of course, shop. of course. And living in Berlin, of course, is fantastic. And, you know, I was back in German advertising, which I don't love very mm-hmm, much. But, mm-hmm. but you went, came in at a, yeah. from a point of strength yes, and, exactly. and experience. And as an MD and just to change the culture and stuff like that. And I left this to direct. So it was a very, you know, hard. It's not something I decided overnight. You know, I had to talk to people. And and that was when? And that was in 2012. Again, the agency held on to me very strongly. And they became very antagonizing when I insisted on leaving. It wasn't easy. You know, right. They, uh, but again, looking back now. You felt it was the right choice. It, 100%. These two pivots that we talked about yes. these were instinctive right you made these choices from a feeling of instinct yes you didn't it was heart overhead hundred percent yeah the head said the complete opposite yeah. every time yeah in your heart of hearts you always kind of know what it is for sure you know and I think all these pivots kind of connect somehow in the end yeah and, and they all help you in certain ways you know that we talked about it the the the, the Steve, Steve Jobs, Jobs yeah. interview yes, where he did, you know, connect early the dots. on, connect the dots. And yeah. he had this, you know, he he uh, left college, but hung around and did yeah. some random courses that yeah. influenced the future of Apple. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and in, in his biography, Isaacson also talks about a typography course that Steve Jobs. The calligraphy course. Yeah. 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 Took on very early and how that has yeah. shaped, you know, the graphic design at Apple that still Absolutely. exists today. And it's, you have all these foundational things that you, that build and form your character without even realizing it. Yeah. So, so engineering today really helps me systematically approach briefs. Mm-hmm. I'm very computer science in my thinking and flow chart in my, yeah. you know, process. And that probably helped you navigate Germany yes. as well. Absolutely. Having that background, yeah. you understood on, an, on a deep level how the country functions. Yes. So what's next for you, Ali? Um, hopefully features. I'm working on a short now and also developing a series. Um, so I have a couple of projects in parallel. In Egypt? Uh, yes. Arabic language or English Arabic, language? Arabic language. Arabic language. Yes. And you write in Arabic or you write in English? Uh, both. You're comfortable in, I, in both. I write. I write the descriptions in English and I write the dialogue in Arabic. So that's what. Are you doing that full time? No, you're, no, that's no. A, that's I'm a, still. I'm still running good right, people and, right. and and directing and writing. Ads. Interesting. Yeah, I need to pay the bills. Amazing, amazing, Ali. Thank you. You're welcome. That was great. Thank I'm you. I'm very glad we did this. Yes, me too. I hope you've enjoyed listening to life through Ali's lens. You'll find links to some of his work, including his 10 Stupid Things talk in Durban, in the show notes in your podcast player. This episode of What I Did Next is brought to you by ANT Media with me, Malak Fuad, and is co-produced by Shirag Desai. I love hearing from you, so please connect with us on Instagram by searching for What I Did Next and leaving us a message. I look forward to having you join me again in two weeks' time.